0: Welcome to the Super Abundant Life Podcast. I'm your host, Olaumi Brickway, a transformational life coach and the creator of Super Abundant Woman, where we are teaching and equipping women who have a burning desire for significance to create an exceptionally successful and fulfilling life without burnout or stress. In the not-too-distant past, I myself was trapped in an agonizing cycle of failure and shame with my mind constantly dominated by negative emotions. But my life was dramatically transformed beyond my wildest dreams when I began to live by the power and the wisdom of God's word. My mission is to teach others to experience the same. On the Super Abundant Life podcast, we have only one goal teach and empower Christians to take full advantage of their rights and privileges in Christ so they can build exceptionally successful lives. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. This is Olaomi Brigway, and welcome back to the Super Boner Life Podcast. This is episode 135, and today I'm going to be talking about parenting, which is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I love everything that has to do with parenting our children to fulfill the destiny that God brought them here on earth to fulfill. So parenting is not something that you do just based on what you already know, because <laughs> some of the things that we learn from my parents, we actually need to unlearn. So parenting is something you take as seriously in terms of growth and development as let's say your career. And that is why I love talking about parenting. And did you also know that for the 15 years that I spent in a professional career, I actually worked with children, teenagers to be precise. So I taught mathematics in secondary schools in the United Kingdom, and I worked with children in various capacities, first starting off as a math teacher and then working with them at the pastoral level. I have so much experience working with teenagers, even as in the entire range (laughs) of teenage behavior, emotions, tantrums, whatever it is, I have witnessed it, I have dealt with it. And as a result of that, I just feel like there's so many things that we can teach our children that parents may not even be aware of. So that is one of the reasons why we do this podcast, bringing awareness to the things that we may not already be aware of, or we may be aware of and we think, okay, maybe that's not that important. So if you... (laughs) Just walk with me on this journey as we go through this podcast. I'm speaking from my own experience as a mother. I'm speaking for my extensive experience of working with teenagers. And I'm also speaking from the word of God. So threefold chord cannot be broken also. so <laughs> so please tune in whether you already have children or not this will always prove useful because one day you will go on to be a parent if that is something that you desire and you will remember this podcast or you will go and find it and listen to it again so what am i talking specifically where it comes to parenting today the topic of today's podcast is the most common mistake that alienates parents from their teenage children. So I'm going to zoom in and focus primarily on teenagers. Now, not strictly teenagers, like definitely from 13 uh, to 18 or 19 or something like that. We could dial it back and say maybe even from age 10 or age nine or even eight. But from experience, from observation and from my own personal study, this is the time, the period in a child's life where they most need this thing that I'm going to be talking about. And because parents don't recognize this and they are bypassing it, it is causing friction in the relationship between parent and teenager. So once you begin to understand that ah, oh, you mean I only need to make this small change for my relationship with my son or my daughter to improve, then you go ahead to make that change and you see the results like wow, honestly, that is all it's going to take from me. Parenting is not hard i'm telling you parenting is not hard like anything else it has its challenges because you're dealing with human beings right you're dealing with human beings your child your daughter is a human being you are a human being and once you put two human beings together there is going to be some kind of mess as human beings are messy so we have issues we etc so Don't view parenting and say, this thing is just hard. No, parenting is not hard. The the more you view it that way, the harder the journey will become for you. Parenting is actually a privilege. I view parenting as a privilege. Honestly, this is how I see parenting. Like God counted me worthy to say, okay, these children, I'm going to bring them into your life as a caretaker, as a steward. Because you know those children don't belong to you they belong to god they belong to god and let me give you <laughs> let me give you facts eh? no, my children, listen you now that you are listening to me at your age do you feel like your parents have a say or a particular hold over your life that's even if they're still here So you have become your own person. You have become your own woman. You have your career. You have your business. You have your own family. you say, I'm my own person. So that means that it was only a season that your parents exercised that measure of influence or impact over your life. Once you start getting to a certain age, the cord is broken and the cord must be broken. The Bible says that a man will cleave to his wife. He will leave his father and his mother. So ultimately they belong to God and you are just a caretaker, a steward. So when you begin to see that way that this is a privilege, it is a privilege to have children to parent. Okay. So that's just a bonus. (laughs) So I'm going to be talking about the most common mistake that alienates parents from their teenagers, from their teenage children. And I will walk you through, I'm going to really teach this in depth. So I'll start off by telling you what it is, but don't say, ah, okay, I've heard that before and click off (laughs) and click off the podcast and say, I've heard it before. If you've heard it before, right? And your relationship with your child or your teenager is not what you want it to be. You better continue listening because there's something I love to say. If you say you know something and we cannot yet see the fruit in your life, that means you don't yet know it. That's the truth. You do not yet know it. The proof that you really know something are the fruits. Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. Okay? So keep listening keep listening. I'm here to help you. And you will find a lot of um, light and inspiration to help you move forward in terms of your relationship with your child. And so what is this most common mistake parents make that alienates them from their children, particularly teenage children? And this is quite common amongst the African community. African community. And it is this, parents seek first to be understood than to understand their children in one sentence that is it but like you know i'm going to unpack that i'm going to unpack that and then give you specific things that you can do to begin to make that slight but crucial adjustment in your relationship with your teenager now let me start by saying this did you know that your child's most urgent need, especially as they begin to approach the teenage years. So from age 10, 11, 12, 13 and onwards is for them to be understood and accepted. Did you know that that is the most urgent need for that child? So when the child is a baby, newborn baby, the child's most urgent need is to be fed, to be changed, to be comfortable, not to be too cold or too hot, just to be comfortable. It's all about the body. It's all about the body. But as the child grows, the focus shifts in terms of for the child, what the child wants from the physical body It shifts from the body to the soul. And they feel like he just don't understand me. Do you know that? This is the single most important thing that a teenager complains about. You don't understand me. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. I told you that I taught for 15 years. Okay. I thought, I interacted with students, with teenage children in the UK. And in the UK, you have more behavior issues. <laughs> I, I have stories, but it's just that if I start telling just stories that I have, I will spend the entire podcast telling you story I have stories. Say, so oh, my child is, that's why when people tell me, oh, my child is doing this, and doing this, and they're really worried and upset. I'm like, oh, you have not seen anything. Just begin to give God thanks that your child is doing this compared to some other things that I've witnessed that children as young as 11, as young as 11 or no, 11 years old, the kind of behavior that I've witnessed that I've had to deal with, that I've had to call parents into a meeting with me regarding their child. And the parents would show up and say, we, we, we serve, <laughs> we serve. We are confused. We don't know what to do. Help us. Do you see what I mean? But in all that time, if there's anything that I figured out about a teenager is they want to be understood. It is so important to them. It's like air to them. It's like air to them. They'll go miss. You're not listening to me or sir, you're not listening to me. And they would get upset and angry. I say, you're not listening to me. How many times has your teenager told you "You you're not listening to me? You will see what I mean. You're not listening. You're not seeing it from my point of view. Especially if there are already conflicts in that relationship, they'll keep keep using words along those lines. Mom, you're not listening. Mom, you're not seeing it from my perspective. Mom, you just don't understand. Dad, you just don't understand. That's because at that age, their greatest need is to be understood. So what that means is you as a parent must then seek first to understand than for them to understand you and do what you're asking them to do. Because but well, you say, but why must I be the one? If you're already asking that question, there are serious problems because you have the one in authority. Do you see? It's like Jesus bending down and washing the feet of his disciples. So if you already have that kind of authoritative attitude towards your children, they must do what I say. Why must I be the one that is seeking to understand? That is the first shift. Mindset shift that I want you to make as you listen to this podcast. You cannot approach parenting like that. Did you ever see Jesus force his disciples to do anything? Jesus is a model. He's a model. He modeled whatever he wanted them to do. He sought first to understand. In fact, the way that Jesus accessed the lives of the disciples was through something in their environment with Peter, James, John, and um, somebody else. It was through fishing. He entered their space through fishing, he even lose their language. He said, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus went to the level. Matthew, the tax collector, with Zacchaeus, all these people, he came to their level. The person that said, speak the word only, Jesus said, "Ah, correct, correct, I like that. He said, okay, I will speak the word only. The person that said, okay, I must touch the hem of the garment, he said, okay, touch now. Nah? Receive your miracle. Do you see what I mean? The person that said, you must come to my house, Jesus went. He went. He just said, no, no, no. I'm only going to stay here on this mountain in Jerusalem. Whoever does not come here, that is it. Oh, if you don't come here, there's no miracle. Jesus went where people are. That is what it means to seek first, to understand. Do you see what I mean? So I'm going to share with you a few points, right? As to what it means and how you can begin to do these things. Now, the first thing, as I said, is the most common accusation that a teenager will throw at a parent or a teacher or any adult that is in authority over them is you just don't understand. I cannot count the number of times a teenager has said that to me as a teacher. Even my own children, like, mom, you just don't understand. I'm like, well, don't I understand at first? I'll be trying to do brav. I do like, what do you mean? I don't understand Am I not speaking English? <laughs> <Do> you <see? laughs> no, you're speaking English, but it's different. Which suggests that that deepest desire is to be understood. Now, let me, when I say to be understood, let me tell you, first of all, what it is not, then I would tell you what it is. The first thing that it is not because sometimes right, you might feel like, Oh, to understand my child is to like be pally pally with my child. Let me tell you what it is not to understand. Your teenager does not mean to intellectually comprehend what they are saying. Like I just said, it's like, it's English. You're speaking. Now you said this, 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 and this, I understand English. I heard you. I understand. And you assume. That because you literally can process the words that they've spoken, that you understand that you truly, truly have understanding of their situation and what they're going through. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. That is where the problem lies because I like, what is the problem? I, what are you saying? <laughs> what are you saying? I, you said this is what happened, this is what happened, and this is what happened. Yes, now I can follow the progression and the process, the thought process. Yes, so I see what you're saying and I understand it. And then you say a response and the child goes, Ah, You just don't understand. You just don't understand. Okay? So I'm telling you what it is not, and then I'll come to tell you what it is. The second thing is to understand your teenager does not mean to agree with everything they say in order to avoid conflict. That is another no-no. If you do that, you are really making a rod for your back. If you do that. And if you have raised your child in the earlier years as toddlers, as a young child, where the child says, this is what I want. And they throw a little bit of tantrum. And say, okay, okay, take. You are honestly making a rod for your back. You are. You're making a road for your back because the older they get, the greater the consequences of bad decisions become. This is what I mean. So if the teenager say, I don't want to study. I just want to stay in bed. I just want to play games and they are 16. They are meant to be reading for GCSE. What will you do then? If you've always given in and said, okay, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. It is the same. Okay, fine that they are expecting to hear. If they do not hear that, okay, fine, there'll be trouble and they will not listen. So (laughs) you're making a rod for your back. If you are just agreeing with them to avoid conflict and certain personality types are more prone to this than others. So you need to sort of watch yourself. So you, you need to actually go and take personality tests. If you have not, so things like Myers Briggs, things like the Enneagrams, you need to understand yourself. These things, you'll be like you are reading your life. Is you be like, eh? Is so accurate, yeah. Certain personality types are more prone because they're more about keeping the peace. They're more about blessing the world with the things they have. So they're more likely to say, okay, okay, no conflict. I just want peace. Not in a bad way, but that is their makeup. So if you're that kind of parent, you have to override and overcome that thing and say, yes, I want peace, but peace in the future could mean conflict now. It would mean saying no now. So... When I say understand your teenager, I definitely do not mean agreeing with everything they say simply because you want to make them happy. Now, what does this mean? So what does it mean to understand your teenager? Yeah. To understand your teenager means to see things from their perspective before making any judgments on the situation that they're facing. I'm going to repeat that. To understand your teenager means to see things from their perspective before, not after they've thrown the tantrum, not after they've gone silent and they're like, okay, mom, you know, there's some kids that are well-behaved. They say, yes, mom, okay, mom, but (laughs) those ones are even more dangerous because they say, okay, mom, they're just waiting to leave your house. I'm telling you, I've seen it. They're just waiting to leave your house they won't argue because you raise them to be well behaved you raise them not to talk back you raise them not to shout at their parents right so they'll say okay mom yes mom but inside them they're like this woman does not even understand anything this woman is clueless <laughs> once they leave your house they will go and do what they want so seeing things from their perspective before making any judgments on the situation. And as a parent, I guarantee you, this is one of the most difficult things to do because you always want to impose your own judgment based on where you are standing based on your own experiences in life based on the shoes that you are wearing and you would say something in response to a situation and your teenager will look at you like you're speaking greek like i don't understand to you it makes perfect sense to them it's like what are you saying you don't understand (laughs) i'll give you an example so i remember when my daughter maxine started secondary school I, I taught teenage class in my church on sunday and we were talking about different things how to apply the word etc how the holy spirit guides you etc beside the point we got to the point where we're talking about girls schools and the issues in girls schools i said kai i mean girls school <laughs> the palaver oh my goodness oh she looked at me somehow she stopped talking to me that thing is important to them all. don't ever dismiss it girls have like That's drama especially at that age bracket, they like drama, drama. This one looked at me. She didn't sit with me at lunch. Meanwhile, boys are out playing football, burning energy. So my daughter started secondary school and she had a couple of friends, a, a, a group of friends or maybe one or two friends. I'm literally talking about the beginning of secondary school. And it will get to the point where almost every day, she will come home upset. Sometimes she'll cry Oh, this one did this, this one did not talk to me. This one did not do something. This one and oh, (laughs) here, in my adult introverted self, I'll be like, "Ah, go and find somebody else to talk to now. If this one will not talk to you, ah, there's plenty fish in the seal. Go and find somebody else. If I say, okay, let's look at list all of them. Person A is not talking to you. Okay, go and talk to Person B. And she was like, you know, it's not that simple. And I would see that she's not getting what I'm saying. It's as it's not even landing. Because for me, in this is my age, eh? Somebody come to me and say, I'm not talking to you. In fact, I'll be secretly happy. I'll be like, oh, well, thank God. All this talk, 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 I don't even like talking too much, Seth. If you come and say you are keeping malice with me, I'll be like, praise the Lord. I will release you. I will say, ah, I'm really sorry. oh." Ah. And then I will say, thank you. I will speak to you later, ah, in my age. And I'll be begging somebody to talk to me. But here's what I'm saying. I never, in that situation, I never tried to see it from her point of view. I responded and I kept on responding based on my own experiences presently and the shoes that I was wearing presently. In fact, do you know why these things happen? It happens because parents are very quick to forget. You're very quick to forget that you also were a teenager. You were a child where somebody refused to talk to you in that boarding school and you were crying. And you were saying, please remove me from this place. I don't have any friends. You were writing your parents letters every day saying, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. You forgot. But now you are. Standing in your own shoes, and you can't imagine being upset because somebody is not talking to you. So, you're speaking from that point of view, and your child is like, She's not listening to me, she doesn't understand. And you're forcing this child, for example, to go back to the place where she's trying to tell you that it's not working or to do things where she just doesn't see it yet. A lot of times we look at it from our own personal, a lot of times, all the time. So you have to deliberately and intentionally almost come walk over to the other side. And that is why, did you know that? That is why God also made you walk through their experiences that's why you also were born as a baby then you were a toddler then you were a child then you went through primary school secondary school university so that you've already walked in those shoes those experiences are meant to give you empathy towards your own children or whoever it is god brings into your child into your life it's meant to give you empathy, the Bible says that Jesus came and he walked the earth so that he will know exactly the infirmities and weaknesses that human beings have, and as a result of that, the Bible says that he's a faithful high priest, forever making intercession for us. This is in Hebrews. Before Jesus came, have you ever read the Old Testament? God you'd be like, What is wrong with you people? What is wrong? <laughs> I said, I don't worship idols. And he kept worshiping by the whoosh and he would just send this one and send that one, send that He was very quick to say, you're not listening to me. You're not, <laughs> but do you, do you see what I mean? Until Jesus came, until God himself came and there was a human, fully human. I was like, ah, man, these people have tried to, <laughs> it's not easy. Ah, it's not easy being human. He felt everything that we felt and we feel today. And so as a result of that, he's able to make intercession. He looks at us with compassion. That is why you should never run away from God when you feel like, oh, I've done something wrong. Generally, the way God looks at you is with eyes of compassion and mercy. That is exactly why God made you walk that walk to go through the teenage years. But parents will now become so high and mighty. Like, I never struggled to read my books. You forget. You're not like, I'm a parent now. You must read your books. You must spend 15 hours. Meanwhile, you, <laughs> okay. you know how tough it was. And there weren't even mobile phones then Oh, Now, compared to now that there's now mobile phones and all sorts of things that will distract and you've suddenly lost your empathy. You're just like, no, you must eat. No, you must eat. And the child is like, this woman does not understand. And man too. Which leads me to the point that as a parent of a teenager, the most valuable quality and the skill you must develop is empathy and also active listening. So the quality is empathy and the skill is active listening. Listening actively is a skill. It is a skill. Stephen Covey said in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said one of the skill, one of the qualities and skills that you must develop. If you want to be effective as a parent, as a leader, whatever it is, you must seek first of all, to understand, to walk, literally walk around to this person's point of view and say, what are they seeing? In fact, I read something or I watched it in one of those clips that floats around on social media or I read it in an article, I don't remember exactly, that when Walt Disney was designing Disneyland and how he wanted it to be the magical place he wanted to create, he said he spent most of his time on his knees so that he would be at the level of a little child. So he'll be coiling around in his office or in his knees and say, okay, so how high should this one be? How tall should this one be? Because he wanted to see literally through the eyes of a little child. You must do that if you want to connect with your children and therefore be able to parent them effectively. So that's the first one. Your child's, especially teenager, their greatest need is to be understood, to be accepted. All right. The second thing that I want to show you is you cannot train your child effectively until you come to their level. I just mentioned that about Walt Disney. You can't, honestly, you can Like I said, I was a teacher for several years and I also still teach in my church. I just mentioned that as well. Now, because I taught maths and further maths and I had a wide range to Secondary school in the UK is from age, it's from year seven all the way to year 13, yes, which is age 11 all the way to age 18. So they spend about seven years all together in secondary school, right? Now, when you're teaching an 11 year old or a year seven student maths, And i also teach further maths to year 13s which are the 18 year olds that are preparing for their university entry exams and i carry differentiation or integration or some other level of calculus in fact let me pick something that the year sevens will see i say i want to teach fractions now in year 13 there's something called algebraic fractions that is quite complex but fractions is fractions abhi so i carry the algebraic fractions and i go to the year seven i start saying okay this is what you would do and the thing if you even see it some of you are already like <laughs> because you didn't like math. <laughs> you're already sweating like hey don't say maths again maths 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 i don't know why you people don't like maths what's the problem <laughs> so if you see one well, question alone can be half a page of equations and numbers and letters now imagine if i carry that and I walk into your seventh class, 11 year olds, and I put you on the board and I say, today, I'm going to teach you fractions. And I start working the thing on the board and I say, yes, you do this. They'll just be looking at me like, miss, are you sure you're in the right class? <laughs> do you see what I mean? If I want to teach fractions, I know how I will teach it. I will come to their level. I will come to their level. I could bring in props and say, okay, we're going to divide these counters by half or whatever it is. If I carry props, like counters, into your yeah, yeah, 13th class, 18-year-olds, they'll be like, miss, is everything okay? They'll be like, really? Why not yet. They'll even be offended. You'll be like, miss, we're not we're not babies. That's what they'll say to me. So you have to go to the level of that child in order to train them effectively now let me give you an example from the bible the thing that put all of us the whole of humanity in the problem where they're seeing poverty disease sickness death and all those things originated from this idea of you don't actually teach something until the person understands by first of all going to their level genesis 3 we read it says that the serpent came to eve and basically told Eve you will not die eat the fruit and etc cetera, etc cetera. and the bible says that the woman Eve was convinced She saw that the tree was beautiful. In fact, before that, she said, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the middle of the tree of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. Now, she said something that made us, that gave us a clue, and the Bible does not include any word for the sake of it. So if the Bible includes that, it means the Bible is trying to teach us something, that there was understanding that was lacking with Eve. So she said, God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. But we were privy to the conversation between God and Adam. God never said, don't touch it. She filled in gaps. There were gaps in our understanding and she must have filled it in like, Oh, okay. That means, Oh, do you know why that you must not touch? It was important when she touched it, nothing happened. Meaning like, ah, it's true, nothing happened. I can't eat this thing, but God never said, don't touch it. Because there were gaps in her understanding. She filled in those gaps with nonsense. The same way, if you don't train your children effectively through this principle that I'm talking about, they will go away to university or whatever it is, or even to school, secondary school. And they're coming home. You are seeing them every day, but there are gaps in their knowledge and those gaps, because the child is curious. It's God that gave them that curiosity. You can't take it away. Because they're curious, they will fill those gaps with nonsense. Satan will even help them fill the gaps with nonsense. And did you forget that we're living in the technological age? So there's nothing the a child now cannot access in this world. I'm telling you. So Eve said, oh, okay, you can't even touch it. Then she touched it. She was exact and nothing had happened. She didn't die. She didn't feel any kind of separation. Nothing. And she, this Satan, what he's saying must be true. And as a result of that, she went on to eat it and then gave it to her husband. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 13, that for God made Adam first, God made Adam first. So Adam was the one that received the instruction that God taught everything. And then afterward, he made Eve. And listen to this it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. It wasn't Adam who was deceived. The Bible says the woman was deceived, and sin was the result. So once Eve ate that thing, it was done. She was the one that was deceived because of a gap in understanding. So Adam understood God's commandment well. But Eve's understanding of the same commandment was sketchy. And honestly, because of that, it opened the door. It opened the door. I just, let's paint a scenario, right? For Adam, he may have looked at it like, God said it, oh, that's fine. I must not eat it. And he's like, I understood. Thumbs up. I get it. And he's fine. He may have just repeated the words. How many times have you have your husband uh, you're talking about something and he's approaching it as men tend to do with a very logical point of view. He said it and he, as far as he's concerned, he has communicated it, but you, he has not satisfied that emotional part for you as a woman. He, you know, he just don't understand. He just don't understand. Like, don't, but I've said it now. I've said you can. Let me give you an example. Say <laughs> Valentine's day was not too long ago. <laughs> the wife says, won't you buy me something for Valentine's Day?" Or oh, actually he didn't show up. Let's just say Valentine's Day came and went nothing. <laughs> not a blip. Not even one flower. Not even one little card. Not even a text to say I love you or whatever. Valentine and the woman is married. And he's seen on Instagram. This one did this, this one did that. And she's like, Ah, I'm me, I'm even married. I have a husband or oh, boyfriend or fiance. And this one has not even done anything. And let's say married. The so husband comes and you don't even do anything for me on Valentine's. And I say, ah, but you have the card now. We have the same joint account or you have the card to my account. Why didn't you just go and buy the flowers or why didn't, you... I mean, just order what you want, you know, I just order what you want. You know, I'm not going to stop you. Just buy it and him. As far as he's concerned, logically, he has expressed his love by saying, You have my card, buy whatever you want. And the woman is thinking, I should buy whatever I want. Valentine's Day. You can't even give five minutes to give some thought to kata <laughs> kata with them burst. Now, he's like, but I've given you the resources to get what you want. And the woman is like, No, you must invest time. I'm pretty sure what Adam did was similar. He just sort of threw out the instruction. He didn't really come over to the side of Eve to make sure that she understood. And because she didn't understand, she filled in the gaps in what was lacking in her understanding with her own things. And that was Satan's entry point into it. In the same way, your life experiences have taught you, for example, that it's better to prepare well in advance for exams. So you are like, you're looking at it. You understand this truth. Well, yeah. You've been through exams. You've been through school, etc., And you know that, ah, you must pass. So in order for you to get into good schools, you must finish with a good degree or whatever it is. And you have that ambition for your child, that desire for your child. And you say, you must read your books. You must read your books. You must read your books. You understand that truth. Well, you know that it's a truth or at least it's fact. Because some of us did not finish. <laughs> some of us did not finish with the kind of degree that we cannot put out there. Some of us finished with third class. But you know where you are now. You don't want to share that story with your child because you say ah if i go and share it now that's how the child will say but mommy got third class and see how successful she is so you won't share that story so that's why i said it's fact not necessarily truth so you know that fact and you want your child to do well you want them to excel in their exams so what do you do you come based on that understanding of your own life experience like listen this is good for you if you do well you'll be able to get into the school and you begin to tell this child you must revise why are you not reading your books why are you not doing this why are you not taking it seriously but let me explain something to you did you know that that child has not yet gone through the experiences that you have gone through it doesn't make sense that they are, they they are on as far as you're saying your future your future What they are seeing, when you say future, is tomorrow or next week. They're not seeing future as, oh my God, ah, how am I going to pay bills? When you start saying things like that, I'm telling you, it's just going over the head of your child like this. They don't get it. Until maybe they get to university, they now begin to see what you were saying. Why? Because they're getting to that stage in life where they have to pay their own bills, but without that experience, it's just going over their head. So if you are approaching your child with, oh, how are we, you, if you, you're not going to get a good job, if you don't pass, if, how are you going to pay your bills? How are you going? The child is just oh, pay bills. Who is paying the bills now? Isn't it all you that's paying the bills? You're paying the bills now. So there's no connection. They don't understand what you're saying. They don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. So remember I said, the first thing is you seek first to understand them. The second thing is you seek that they understand you when you're training them. So don't always, in fact, don't ever speak from your own point of view alone. Like I said to you now, your fear is, hey, if this child does not do well, how would they go to university or how would they do this? Then how would they be able to pay their bills? That is your own fear because that is your own fear now. That's the fear for your child because you've been there where you are like, oh my God, without the salary, how are you going to, you've experienced it. It means something to you, but at the point where I saying it to this child, it doesn't mean anything to them because they've never had to pay bills in their life. So they don't understand. And you are like, I'm repeating the same things. I'm speaking to you in English. You understand English. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you haven't yet set it at the level that they will understand. That they will understand. <laughs> like I said, I worked with thousands over my fifteen-year career. Teenagers, first of all, started off as a just a full math, full-time math teacher, and all I did was teach math. And then I went on; I was promoted, etc., to the point where I wasn't just teaching math. In fact, my my math teaching reduced to just about maybe ten or twenty percent of my work, and the work, like. Eighty to ninety percent of my work was now dealing with the pastoral side, of of teaching of of children. So the behaviors and uh, and anything their well being, emotional well being, physical well being, the behaviors, etc. So that was my area of leadership and the way I interacted the most with kids as I advanced in my career. And like I said. One of the things that I heard almost always from a child that was experiencing some kind of conflict, whether it was with me or with another teacher or with their parents was, you just don't understand. And I realized as I began to work with these teenagers, once you become a leader, a pastoral leader in a secondary school, you tend to work more, right? They say it's the badly behaved ones you'll be seen all the time and you those are the ones you become pally with. <laughs> so you don't know the names of the good ones you know <laughs> even though i i tried to but because you were they were always sending the badly behaved ones to your office etc you you get to know them very well and one of the things that i learned very early on in my teaching career was whenever i saw a badly behaved teenager that i'm a nice like i said different ranges of, of bad behavior okay Not just, oh, mom. No, 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 no. Extreme, sometimes bad behavior. But something that I never saw fail was to communicate something that I wanted to tell to understand in a way that they would understand it. So, for example, if you take a teenager and you say to that teenager, Oh, you have to do well in all your exams. If you do that, you stand a greater chance of getting into a fantastic school. If you get into a fantastic school, you get a great chance of getting into a fantastic university, which helps you to get a fantastic job, which means you can do all this. And like I said, the child, they are talking about paying, having money to pay bills. They don't really get it. So the child says, but I don't like geography, Oh, I don't like maths, or oh, I don't like English, and they will not put the effort in. Or I also got so many kids in my teaching career whereby maybe they were turned on to football or something. I say, oh, no, I don't need to do well in school because I'm going to be a footballer. And no matter what the teachers did to try and get them or their parents to try and get them to at least do well and get their GCSEs, which is the school living certificate, they'll say, no, 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 I don't need that. I don't need that because I'm going to make it in that career. Now, if you keep saying you have to read your books, you must pass your exams, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Maths and English are important. The child is thinking, Maths and what am I going to use maths and English for as a footballer? I already can speak English. What's the problem? Who says I need to read? I'm telling these are literally words that children have told their parents or their teachers when they're trying to make them study. You must help them see at the level that they are at. So, for example, I remember having this conversation, True Life Story, with a boy, okay? One of the boys that was always getting sent to my office. In fact, the first few times that this boy was sent to my office, re- as in... Oh, the anger, I've, I've never seen anger on a full grown adult as I've seen in this, in this boy, as in extreme, as, oh my goodness, extreme anger. So do you know what I, the first time they sent me, I, I was just like, okay, just stand outside my office. I don't have any idea for you today, but I think the second or third time I started engaging with him. And first thing I did was I didn't even talk about what had happened because the moment I bring up, oh, that Mr. X said, you, de- you said this defense mechanism, the wall goes up thicker than the wall of Jericho. They, they, he's not listening again, the same thing with teenagers. So every time you go in and you start accusing, I say, you haven't done this. That wall has already gone up. They're not listening. They're not listening. So I didn't even talk about any of that. I just, I think I saw his bag. His bag was a Chelsea bag or something like a Chelsea football club bag, something like that. Yeah. And I saw it and I said, oh, do you support Chelsea? I was like, oh, yes, and his face lit up. And I used to be a fanatical supporter of Chelsea football club until I think it was about 10 years ago where I was like, are they paying me? Do they cut me a check if I'm the one paying money to even watch this football? (laughs) So I'm like, the one where you'll be depressed after watching something, but it was also quite glorious, but. At a point in my life, I'm like, mm, I'm not doing it again. Every now and then, okay, I might just peep in and watch something. But at that point, I was I was a fanatical, I, I'm talking fanatical, fan, not base level. I knew everything. Because when I go into something, I go into it with everything. I don't do toe dipping. So I was, at that point, I was a fanatical supporter of Chelsea Football Club. And I saw, and immediately I said that his face leader was like, wow. You know, and we started talking, we literally would analyze. We talked about the game the night before and I see what happened. Da, 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 da. Now I had made a connection. I found something that was at his level that he was interested in. Notice that I did not go in guns blazing. I had the authority to do it because I think by that time I was either ahead of year or I was already a senior leader. I don't remember exactly. So I had the authority to go in and say, you must do as I say. And I had tried that early in my career, it does not work. <laughs> it doesn't work. You must know, so have I had the authority to do it. But I knew it would not work. So I found a common ground. We talked about Chelsea. I would be passing on the corridor. He'll call me, Miss, did you see this? And he will stop and we'll gist for like three minutes and say, Oh, see you next time, miss, etc. Now, once I had established that connection by coming down and seeing, literally walking over and saying, what, what is this? This is the boy that believes that he's going to be like, be a professional footballer. So stepping into his shoes, football was so important to him. So important that he had ridiculous mass. Why should I be doing a DYDX, DYDX court for what? How is that going to help me in life? <laughs> Do you see? So <laughs> establish that connection. And then the next level, the next level was now. How do I get this? Because it's not just about the connection. I also, I had a job to do, which was to get him to stop misbehaving and being so difficult and abusive sometimes to his teachers. That was my job. I still needed to do my job. So I said, okay, so how am I going to do that? So I said, okay, I've already established that this is something that is important to this boy. It's extremely important to him. So I went and I did some research right? I went and I said, okay, even if this boy wants to do this and do this, what are the requirements? I I did lots of research. The people that were kicked out of football academy, even though they were really talented, the ones that even became footballers and the club sacked them because they were in the tabloids, they did this and paparazzi took their pick. I did all sorts of research and I went to this boy and I said, let's have a talk. So, I did not do that. I did it in the time of peace, which is another thing that you should learn. Don't do that in the time of conflict that God is already up. They're not listening, okay? So in the time of peace, oh, you know, let me know. I, I wanna see you, come see me, etc. Come to my office there. And we sat down and we started talking. So what are your plans? Oh, oh, miss, oh, very excited. I'm going to play football. and it was quite good. He could have made it. I don't, I've never, I've not heard his name since then. So I don't know if he did make it, all right, but he was very good, he was very talented. He tried to tell me, Oh, this is what I want to do, etc. etc. And he was failing, I think by this point, he was year 10 or year 11, year 10, I think. He was failing, he was going to fail anything and leave school with nothing to show for it. So he started talking, and then in my I didn't bring out paper, I started reading it to him. No, that is coming from a position of I judge you. I had memorized as much as I could, and then I started talking. I said, Oh, you know. Presenting it to him and said, oh, I see, but did you know that you need to get this da-da-da, da da I was like, really? And I said, oh, actually, yeah. This particular person, when they went in, um, even though they said, okay, fine, you didn't need to do da And I basically gave him scenarios. I began to talk, linking it, and said, ah, you need your master and English, so ah, you need to pass it all. And because I linked it, I saw it from his own perspective and I linked it to something that he cared about at that stage in his life, it connected. The boy said, oh, really miss? And then the real side of him comes out, which is that he was afraid because he felt like he had played so much that even there's nothing he can do now that he can pass. So all that anger was actually coming from a place of vulnerability. So we talked about, I said, oh, but me, so, you know, I've, I'm too far behind. I'm not going to make it. I said, of course you're going to make it. We'll put together a plan. I'll speak to your teacher. Don't worry. In fact, after school, we're going to spend 15, blah, 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 blah. And then we could then put a plan in place. And do you know that this boy went on to be successful at school? Whilst also being successful at his football. That, as in, then he left the school once he finished at age 16. So I didn't follow him up. But well, that's what I mean, that you seek first to understand. And then in your communication, you also seek to be understood. Both things are important. When you seek first to understand, it makes seeking to be understood effortless because you are there now speaking from where they are standing. All right. Another example that I want to give you, this was from a movie. One of my favorite movies, which is Bend It Like Beckham. And so I, I, I don't know why I'm talking about football today, but yeah, this girl, uh, was extremely good at football and she wanted to play football. She was a tomboy. In fact, her hair was cut short, like a boy's hair and her mother, when they are setting the scene in the movie and they showed us her mother, her mother worked in a laundry shop. She was the kind of person that, you know, literally she had long blonde hair, makeup flawless. She was wearing this nice tight dress, she, as in, she looked like she just stepped out of a magazine. And then the girl bounces in, in the beginning of the movie, wearing football shorts, football jersey, football shoes and her hair was just like she just used like a hairband to hold it back the thing was almost as short as a boy's hair and she was just like she just walked oh hi mom and the mom was like oh why are you always dressing like this and as soon as she got in she went straight for the sports bra section and mom was like oh I'm not the sports bras again then the mom tried bringing all those freely things i said why don't you wear this why don't you try you can see how literally this girl was repelled she just no like it was something that was going to kill or destroy her She said no i'm not wearing that and pretty much almost like half of the movie, this woman was trying to get her daughter to do things like, oh, why don't you wear dresses? Why don't you wear makeup? Why don't you do your hair? Let your hair grow out. Meanwhile, this girl was actively pursuing her football. She didn't care anything about appearance, wearing anything. She would wear t-shirt and shorts and just go and play football, play football, play football. That was all she was interested in. But this woman just didn't get it. She was literally trying to force her to become who she was. She was trying to make her do the things that she did as a teenager, knowing that this one is different though. God has put the seed in her. And she was very good. It wasn't even like she was messing about. She was really good at it. And the more she insisted on only seeing things from her perspective, that a lady, a young lady should dress like this, should behave like this, the wider the gulf between them expanded. So the turning point now came when she just thought about it and thought, I'm losing her. I'm losing this girl. In five years' time, we will barely be speaking to each other. So she thought, I mean... What's the big deal? She decided to step into her daughter's shoes and she thought, okay, the same way I'm passionate about makeup and dresses and going to the air salon and having every strand of my hair in place is the way that she's passionate about football. So she first of all understood that, that, ah, okay, I see now the same way. This is something that gives me joy is the same way that is what gives her joy. Yeah. So if somebody was coming to her now, trying to take away her makeup, her hair products, and telling her not to dress nicely, of course she will resist them. Then she realized that, ah, so it's the same way I'm trying to get her to leave football that she is resisting me. So when she realized that, that, ah, if I can just see things from this child's perspective, she said, okay, I'm going to go and learn about football. And a very funny scene where she and her husband sat down and they arranged um, the dinner table with all the condiments. So Ketop was here and the husband was saying, OK, this is onside, this is offside, trying to teach her the offside rule. Do you know that for the first time in that movie, the child came home from school, saw them at that table. So like, what's going on? And the mother said, oh, don't laugh. But your father is trying to teach me the offside rule," And you could see the way her face lit up. Her face lit up and the mother followed up by saying, well, I feel like at this point, I want to be able to learn about football so I I can enjoy it with you as well, so we can enjoy it as a family. The girl rushed over and hugged her mom. That's the first show of affection that we saw in that movie and it was uphill from there. In fact, it got to the point this girl literally went on and was recruited by an American university, all expenses paid, full scholarship, everything. When she was at the airport about to leave, the mother handed her a present. I've I've told you the whole story now. (laughs) The mother handed her a present and she was like, oh, mom, I hope it's not perfume. She said, no, it's not perfume. Open it. And she opened it and it was a football jersey, a football shirt. And she was like, wow. See, that is, that is someone that has understood. First of all, she sought, she put the energy and the intention into understand her daughter. And then she began to communicate with her daughter at that same level. And their relationship soared and the girl soared because it was during all that time that the scouts came and they said, we're going to recruit you into an American university, all expenses paid full scholarship. This thing is very important. So as I finish up in today's episode, remember, I promised you that I'm going to give you specific ways that you can build this understanding with your child and acceptance, the first one. So how can you cultivate a relationship with your child based on mutual understanding and respect? The first one is learn their love language. I cannot emphasize this enough. There are five love languages. There's words of affirmation, there's physical touch, there's quality time, there's gifts, and there's acts of service. I did an episode on love languages and I focused on the marriage. Go and listen to that episode because I will not have time to take you through why it is important. But love languages literally accelerated me and my husband faster into what you call like the love phase after honeymoon phase where people say ah the love has died what's going on there is fight 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 we had very little time in there because i came across a book called five love languages it's the same with your child so you find out what their love language is and you intentionally give them that love language so my son his love language is physical touch my son is a hugger he will hug you when he wakes up in the morning. He will hug you when he's going to school. He will hug you when he comes back from school. If you go out and you come, you come back, he will hug you. He's a hugger. I don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that his love language is physical touch, but because me personally, Hey, God help me. I'm not a physical. If I, I say people will stop touching me. And why is everybody hugging me in this house? right. But I've grown, I'm better. So physical touch, people touching me, no matter who you are. My husband touching me, my my daughter coming to say, snuggle up. I say, sit over there. As literally, literally, I didn't know these things. When my daughter was younger, I would just say, sit there. Why are you always snuggling up to me? I did not know these things. I repent, but I recognize that. So I intentionally, when I hug him, I hug him because it is love language. I don't say, this boy, they hug too much. No, we hug. You know, his father, his sister, everything. So that's one example. So learn their love language. Give them their love language regularly, frequently. And you will notice, especially if there's currently conflicts between the two of you, that tone will begin to change. They will feel seen. They will feel heard. The second one is be vulnerable. And this one relates to so many African parents. African parents, all of us carried first. All of us had squeaky clean backgrounds we never lied we never kissed a boy we never did any of those things never so if you're a parent like superman there's nothing for the child to relate to there's nothing for the child to relate to so if you're trying to get your child to study one of the things that you can actually use to connect with the child is to go where they are go back to your own teenagers and say ah let me tell you something (laughs) like you or do you know that my mother used to chase me around to read my books or whatever it is, and you're not lying. So I'm not saying make stuff up. If you read, if that really was your experience, you say it and you say, now I see why it's important for me to do that. And they're oh really? The, the face will like, you know, will light up like you too, mom you say, yeah, I'm not perfect, be vulnerable, be vulnerable because the more you present yourself as super mom, the more they can't, there's no connection. They can't see a connection between themselves and you. So be vulnerable. Show them that you you struggle with things. Ah, people are afraid to be vulnerable with their children. I don't understand it. Show them that you too struggle. Share your hopes and aspirations with them and say this is what i'm trying to achieve in my career you think they won't respect you no on the contrary the level of respect will skyrocket because they're like oh okay no empathy will come and say mom don't worry they'll even be encouraging mom you can do it (laughs) okay do you see what i mean vulnerability vulnerability now that does not mean you sit your children down and you come and say hey come and see what's happening between your father and myself That one is not vulnerability. And some parents do that. They'll sit their kids down and be telling them what the father did or vice versa. That's not vulnerability. That is you literally taking something that should be private between you and your husband. And you're bringing the children into something that they have no business coming into. Do you see what I mean? In fact, parents that, let's not go there. But that's not what I mean by vulnerability. Whatever they're dealing with. If you have an experience similar to that, or you can borrow people's experiences and say, ah, oh, you do you know, it's not that big a deal because the first thing you want to make them understand is, it's not the end of the world. So when you are vulnerable and they see that, ah, this thing didn't destroy you. Now you'll be like, there'll be hope there will be birth in them. You'll be like, oh, okay. My mom made it through. I'm going to make it through. That is what vulnerability does because you are no longer in that space. You've moved on. You succeeded in spite of that talent. In fact, I remember that one of the things that helped me the most in secondary school was first year of secondary school. I failed there, hey, woefully. Woefully. I think I came, I think I remember I said like 77 or 78 out of 100 and and something. Low 100, sir. Like maybe 110. Let's just put, you know, in Nigeria back then, they will rank you based on your performance and i said even if you don't have that experience you can borrow other people's experience i will never forget what my mom said to me when she saw my first term report at first day in secondary school after being like one of the best students in my primary school and then coming to secondary school and being one of the bottom do you know what my mom said to me my mom said oh don't worry that was how your brother also started but see how he finished and i saw my brother and i saw that wow he cleared all his exams like is he was one of the youngest to go to university to study engineering as in in his class top university i'm like really that's vulnerability but if she said to me why can't you be like your brother why can't you be like your brother see how he finished not forgetting that the boy too struggled In the beginning so you can borrow experiences to show them that this is not the end and my mom said that to me said don't worry you'll get better things will change so it's because you haven't settled very well that thing gave me so much hope it was like oh okay because i was like, oh my god oh my god so i never seen that kind of number on my report card before so vulnerability if you don't have the experience borrow from other people's experiences and number three links to the second one remove all forms of judgment don't be the accuser that is satan that's satan's job always raising a voice of accusation against your children you are meant to be on their side you're meant to be on their side so respond first of all with mercy embrace empathy and acceptance Does that mean you're accepting the fact that the child is not studying? No, but you're accepting them. You're telling them that don't worry. everything is going to be fine. You will come out of this. You're going to pass. You say, oh, but why would I tell them that they're not reading that they're going to pass the exams? Should you not be presenting the end to the child? Does God not do that for you? Does God not show you a picture of the end? Of where he's taking you while you are still messing up. Does he not do that for you? Why do you think God does that? He's calling you higher. So what makes you think that, oh, if I go and tell him and encourage him now, he will just... No, that is what will draw him and pull him higher. Affirm your child. Affirm them. Everything's going to work out. I know God is helping you. If I let's join hands right now, let us pray. Let's ask God to help you understand. I mean... Empathy, acceptance, show mercy, be caught on the side of mercy than on the side of constant judgment, than on the side of constant judgment. Does that mean you don't discipline your children Two different things? You discipline the behavior, but you embrace the child. You discipline, you make it clear that this behavior is wrong, but you embrace the child. Example in the Bible, woman caught in adultery. They brought her to Jesus. Say, what should we do? The Lord Moses said we should stone her. And Jesus dispersed the crowd with his wisdom. Did he turn to the woman and say, "Is the man still waiting for you? (laughs) Where were you people doing this? Was he in a hotel? Oh yeah, go back. (laughs) I forgive you. Oh yo, before the man leaves, can you imagine Jesus saying that? (laughs) Jesus said, "Go and sin no more." So. His mercy empowered her. He started to show her who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you begin to paint that picture, hope builds up. Go and see no mommies. You put measures in place so that it makes it hard and difficult for the person to want to do it again. So measures in place could be like sanctions. Like, listen, I'm going to take your... Game away if this doesn't happen. So, you are putting sanctions in place to remove the behavior while you simultaneously affirm that child. You must do that. If you're only just doing the discipline without the affirmation, honestly, the gap is increasing in terms of their relationship with you. Okay? One of the greatest compliments that my daughter has ever paid me. A friend of hers when she was in sixth form was going through something. And she said, tell your mom, she, my daughter was telling her, why don't you tell your mom so that she can help you, etc." I said, ah, tell my mom, cause I can't tell my mom. And my daughter was like, oh, wow, I can tell my mom anything. So she was telling me what happened and I didn't tell her, but that was the greatest compliment a child or anybody could have paid me that my own child that was was 17 at the time if not 18 could tell me that I can tell my mom anything. And she wasn't just saying it, it's the truth. My daughter can tell me and does tell me everything. Not that everything, but she can. It's not like she does, but she can. She won't hide anything from me. And do you know why? It's because of acceptance. I've never made her feel less than she is because she did something wrong. From when she was a child, I would, don't get me wrong though, i made a disciplinarian. I would deal with the behavior well. But I always spoke words of affirmation over her. Do you see what I mean? You're People will say you use the left hand to discipline a child, but you use the right hand to embrace the child. You have to do both. You have to do both. So acceptance, remove the judgment. You're not the accuser of the brethren. Stop doing Satan's job for him. So stop all those verbal accusations. Just say it and say, no, that is not correct behavior. Don't say you are this, you are that, you are this, you are that. No, don't say you are. Say that is two different things. Two different things. Yeah. So speak and say that is wrong behavior, but that's not who you are. You are a child that is beloved of God. These are words I used Though you are bigger than that. God is inside you. Do you see? That's who you are. This behavior is not befitting. It's not the kind of person you are. So two different things, discipline, but also use the right hand to embrace and to affirm that child. Okay, I hope that's helped you. Honestly, this is such an important topic and it is not just by listening, you have to do the work. You must do the work and the work is not, you can't just say, oh, I've heard. You have to be intentional about it. You have to create a plan to be able to do it. And if you're listening to me, I say, I don't even know where to start. What do I do? You know, the relationship is not the best. I don't know where to start. Well, coming to Soul, we're very big on parenting. Parenting is one of the seven areas of life that we focus on and we intentionally help you grow and develop in based on biblical principles. So we have courses. Things like love languages, how to identify and effectively communicate your child's love language regularly things like how to put discipline in place for your child and to raise well-disciplined well-behaved children without using scare tactics or naming and shaming and all those kind of things how to literally do it the way that is effective something called executive skills i say it all the time that a child that is misbehaving is not because the child is bad it is simply because the child lacks certain executive skills. So we walk you through how to identify what your child's executive skills are that they are lacking and also how to help them build and develop those executive skills in a way that is literally laid out step by step. It is simply daunting to look at my child and say, my child is not listening or my child is not studying. I say, I don't know what to do, but this one, you literally go in and you say, okay, step one, do this. You've done that good. Step two, do this. And that's not the only thing we have. We have raising children that are spiritually sound, that love God, that have a heart for God, want to serve God. That's just three of some of the courses and execution guides that we have in. So in addition, so those are like the practical aspects of it. The spiritual side, confessions, declarations, prayers dedicated to children. Do you see what I mean? So honestly, if you're like, I don't know where to start, I need help getting to so we are here to help you. That's me done this week. I'll be back with another episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast. See you then.